With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi again, everybody. Great to have you aboard. If you don't like that, we are brought to you by Roy's Umbrella. I've worked with Roy for years, and trust me, you can count on Roy's Umbrella for a very low rate. And folks, if you're refinancing your home, you're in the market for a new home, check out roysumbrella.com. No tricks, no nonsense, no extra charges at the end. I'll tell you something else I love about Roy. He and his staff, they've been unbelievably loyal to me, and they're about family. They really are. They want to meet you. They want to be face-to-face. They do business the old-fashioned way, and it's something I just loved about Roy and Roy's Umbrella. He'll treat you like family as well. Trust me on that. Go to roysumbrella.com. That's roysumbrella.com. You'll be very happy that you did. All right, on today's podcast, we are going to talk about the future of sports In this day and age of the pandemic, we're going to talk about the future of sports broadcasting. Uh, I'm going to have a lengthy question and answer period. And then, of course, uh, the rant. Now, I don't know if you saw Bob Lee, Mr. ESPN, who retired last year. Bob Lee started working at ESPN on the third day of their existence. So when you talk about Bob Lee, he and Chris Berman are ESPN. Very sad news from ESPN yesterday as they are laying off 300 people and are not going to be filling the 200 openings along their domain. So Bob Lee went out on Twitter and said, trying to remain objective and unemotional as I learn of the ESPN team members laid off today. Not possible. Not as I see countless decades of journalistic experience and expertise jettisoned just when we need it most. Enjoy the Disney stock price and your NFL football. And he's taking a little dig there at ESPN because they are spending a fortune on their Monday night football package. They are now reportedly going after Sunday night football and now 300 more people are losing their job at ESPN. And hey, this is going on everywhere. It's not just at ESPN. And it started me thinking about, okay, what is it going to be like for people that are getting into the industry. Because I had a question last week via crowd question about the one thing that really got me interested in sports broadcasting. And I talked about listening to Marv Albert 
you know, do the Knicks when I was growing up, when the Knicks were so good. And he also did the Rangers. And I just used to love listening to Marv do the games on radio. And last week when I had Sean Salisbury on, we talked about John Clayton. And I had the pleasure of working with John at ESPN in the late 90s when I was uh, freelancing, doing work on the weekends on ESPN radio. And the stories that we shared even back then, uh, Tony Bruno was there and Bob Valvano and Pete Weber, the longtime voice of the Nashville Predators. And, you know, we would go do game night on a Saturday and Sunday. And it was really neat for me because, you know, just first of all, I love traveling, but to go to the ESPN headquarters and, you know, work with those type of people the top of their profession. You know, Chris Mortensen would come in and we would talk to him on the radio. And, you know, we were on the air from seven in the evening until one in the morning, both Saturday and Sunday. And it was just a phenomenal experience. And I was flying back about three weekends a month. This was during the NBA lockout in 98, 99. And I would get off the air and I would go home and I would get something to eat. And I would take the red eye from Sacramento through Chicago. And I would get on a flight from Chicago to Hartford, go to the rental car agency, pick up the car, go to the Ramada Inn right across the street from ESPN. And I would sleep for about four hours. I would get up. I would go over to the ESPN headquarters, get ready for the show at 7. And some nights I'd be working with Tony Bruno and Bob Valvano, or I'd be working with Joe D'Ambrosio or Pete Wilson. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. And it was a phenomenal experience. But I'm looking at what's going on in our industry, and I look at that tweet by Bob Lee, and I see, geez, 300 more people that have been laid off at ESPN. And I circle back to... Last week, when I talked about how I really got going in this business and what got me interested, well, I got a couple of follow-up emails from the podcast from young aspiring broadcasters, and they wanted my advice. And my advice is do as much as you can because, fortunately, in this profession, you don't need to have a job, okay, to get experience, I didn't have a job for a long time, but I was doing play-by-play on my own. I would go into my bedroom, and I would make believe that I was talking into a camera, and I would write a couple of bullet points down, and I would try to make a story as I was looking at a certain object on the wall. And that's how I used to practice. And fortunately, it worked for me. And I hope that if you're a young aspiring broadcaster or you're a mom or dad listening and you have a son or a daughter or whatever the case may be, that you want to get into broadcasting, you can practice without having a job. I mean, that's the great thing about doing play-by-play. That's the great thing about talking about sports. You can practice on your own. But with that said, when I look at all the jobs that are being lost across the industry, it's frightening. You know, I don't want to tell a young aspiring broadcaster to give up your dream of covering sports, but then I wonder, what's it going to be like? Because when I look back at my career and all of the amazing things That I've done. You know, I talk about Bob Lee. And as I said, when I was at ESPN in the late 90s, I got a chance to talk to Bob Lee and Chris Berman, especially Chris, because he would come in quite often on Sundays after everything was over and do a quick recap of that day's action in the National Football League. And he was great. He'd come in and do 10 or 15 minutes with us. But, you know, I always tell the story when I was working in Decatur, Illinois, in the 
mid-80s, I wasn't making a lot of money. My first salary was $12,300. I was the weekend sports anchor, and I was a news photographer during the week until they could make it a full-time sports position. And after about nine months, they did make it a full-time sports position. And so I was a weekend sports anchor, and then during the week for three days, I would go out and do sports stories. And even with overtime, I may have been making you know, $14,000. And so what we used to do, uh, if you had the time, you would find one of the two photographers and if they were interested in making a little extra money, and trust me, they were, we would, for instance, take a drive two hours to St. Louis when the St. Louis Cardinals were really good. And we would go to one of their day games and Whitey Herzog and Whitey Ball, and they had a great team, right? They had Vince Coleman, they had Ozzie Smith, they had Tommy Herr, they had Jack Clark, Andy Vance Slyke. I mean, I can go on and on. They were an excellent team. And so we would get down there for a day game. We would get there two hours early and we would be on the field and we'd get some interviews with some of the players. You can't do that now. I mean, that that's not happening anymore. You're not going to a ballpark and going on the field and getting interviews with a ball player one-on-one like we did. And that that's such a shame. But I go back to Bob Lee and Chris Berman. So then we would get a couple of, well, if we were doing a story on, let's say, Jack Clark, because I remember this vividly. I did a story on Jack Clark of the Cardinals, and he was tremendous. First of all, he was a great guy. He would always give you an interview, and he was a big part of the success of the St. Louis Cardinals. So me and my photographer, we would drive to Bush Stadium, and we would do an interview with Whitey Herzog and Jack Clark and maybe a teammate. And then my photographer would get some B-roll of Jack Clark, and hopefully he would get a hit or two in his first uh, or second at-bat. But we would get him before the game, fielding, batting practice. And then we would go back to Decatur, two-hour drive, and we would walk into the editing room on our three-quarter-inch videotape, and I would put together a story. And then I would go to the airport in Decatur, about a 15-minute drive, and I would ship the videotape to ESPN on a commercial flight. And what you would do is you would watch SportsCenter that night and you would see Bob Lee and Chris Berman on SportsCenter. And I kid you not, they would then say, the Cardinals, uh, as we showed you, they won four to two today. Of course, Jack Clark is having a big year. For more on that, here's Grant Napier from St. Louis. And you would see your story come on ESPN and it was such a huge thrill to be sitting in your tiny little apartment in Decatur, Illinois with sports center coming on. And you were just hoping that they would show your story. And if they ran your story, you would get $150 and you would get a check sent and we would split it right down the middle with the photographer. He got 75 bucks. I got 75 bucks, but I was thinking about how many times we used to do that. And sometimes they didn't run the story. But very often they did because that's how they were able to fill content on their Sports Center program. You know, I'll never forget, you know, just going, let's say, to big playoff games because not only were the Cardinals very good, the, the Cubs actually were very, very good when I was working in Decatur, Illinois. Matter of fact, I covered the playoff series where they won the first two games in the playoffs against San Diego. And I was at game five at Wrigley Field with the series tied at 2 2. And I'll never forget this. I got an interview on the field. Before the game, one-on-one with Steve Garvey. Now, I'm thinking, and that that was a huge deal for me. I mean, I remember watching, you know, as a Yankee fan, the Yankees and the Dodgers in the World Series in 77 and 78, you know, and Garvey and, you know, Russell and Ron Say and Lopes and, 
I mean, that was a huge thrill for me. And Steve Garvey, again, now think about this. This is about an hour before game five, the winner going on and advancing. And I'm doing a one-on-one interview with Steve Garvey, which obviously I ran on uh, our sports that night in Decatur, Illinois. But you're not going to be able to do that anymore. Now, I think about all the thrilling stories and the experiences that I've had. I'll never forget after the Bears won the Super Bowl. And I'm up at Plattsville, Wisconsin, covering the Bears in training camp, the Super Bowl shuffle. And, I'll, you know, Mike Ditka, all right? Now, Mike Ditka was not an easy guy to get an interview with. And after practice, and I'm only there for one day, all right? It's not like I'm there all week. I'm there one day, and I've got a lot of pressure on me to get the interviews that I need. Again, the Bears coming off the Super Bowl. Super, You know, Fridge, Jim McMahon, you know, Walter Payton, Mike Singletary. You get the picture. So I walk up to Mike Ditka after practice, after we had done his media scrum with the newspaper people, and I said, hey, Mike, can I get a word with you? And Mike doesn't know who the hell I am. And he's looking at me like, who the hell are you? And I know exactly what he's thinking. He goes, well, we're going to have to hurry and do it as I'm walking off the field. I go, no problem. So I'm sitting there with Mike Ditka. I'm walking in a very fast walk with Mike Ditka, and my cameraman is backpedaling as he, and I ask three questions and that's it. And then I'll never forget going into the locker room there at Plattsville, Wisconsin. I can't remember the name of the college they were at. And I got an interview with Walter Payton and Mike Singletary. And what I remember about that so well is Mike Singletary, the Hall of Famer, phenomenal linebacker. I mean, you think about the great middle linebackers that have played in Chicago with Dick Butkus and Mike Singletary and Brian Urlacher. And Mike Singletary could not have been nicer. Very soft-spoken, unbelievably polite, looked you in the eye, and then actually thanked me when I was done with the interview. And I'm thinking about young broadcasters coming up through the ranks now. Like, what is it going to be like for them? Are they going to have an opportunity to do those type of things. Because I, I really wonder if the media and reporters are going to be allowed in locker rooms anymore. I mean, people can say, well, gee, Grant, you know, the pandemic's not going to last forever. And you know what? No, it's not, hopefully. And hopefully there will be, you know, a vaccination for everyone. I said, hopefully. I don't know. But look at what happened in 9-11. Think of all the safety measures that were put into effect that are still in place nearly 20 years later when we travel, right? And... Once we have the new norm, so to speak, once the cat is out of the bag, that's generally the way things stay. Like, I don't think local broadcasters are going to do much traveling anymore, at least for the foreseeable future. In other words, if you are broadcasting a local team, regardless of what sport you decide, I mean, like in the NFL right now, the local broadcast crews aren't going on the road. They're doing the games uh, from a studio. All right, they're not traveling. You know, like Green Bay tonight, Wayne Larravee, uh, or last night I should say, Wayne Larravee, the great voice of the Green Bay Packers, you know, he's not at Levi Stadium doing the game. He's back in Green Bay doing the game. All right? Uh, that, that's just the way it is. And one of the great things about this job is traveling. I was talking the other day on the telephone with Jim Peterson, the longtime TV analyst of Minnesota, and we were talking about this, and I we... we he doesn't know what the plans are going to be, but he said, boy, that was, how are we going to get our information, talking to coaches and players and things of that nature, and how different uh, it, it will be. But if, if you're a professional broadcaster, 
and you talk about traveling and the love of of that part of your job that may not exist anymore. And I was thinking about, again, again, I was thinking about all of the experiences that I had coming up through the ranks and some of the most memorable moments. You know, I'll never forget being at the Dodgers Cardinals playoff series in the mid '80s. And Tommy Lasorda was just an absolute must listen. And he would hold court, you know, on the field before the game. And I'm not kidding. You know, now think about this. All right. You know, you're talking about the National League Championship Series. And, you know, you would have tons of media there. And the scrum around Tommy Lasorda was unbelievable. Yeah, that's not going to happen anymore. You know, I remember being in the dugout covering the Giants in spring training. Every day we were there, right around Roger Craig, the, the, the manager. And, you know, he'd be sitting in the dugout. We'd be around him. You know, I tell the story about sitting in the Yankees dugout. First time ever covering a major league game in 1978. All right? I'm at, I'm at the, the, the Cleveland Municipal Stadium, September of 1978. And I got to the game three hours before it started because I was so excited. I mean, that was the Yankees were great. I mean, they, you know, they, they had an unbelievable team. Chambliss, Randolph. You know, Dent, Nettles, you know, Reggie Jackson, Thurman Munson, you know, Ron Guidry. I mean, you can go on and on. And I'll never forget sitting in the dugout hours, hours before the game. And I'm just taking it all in. No one's even on the field. There's nothing going on. And I'm sitting in the Yankee dugout, and Mel Allen comes out, the longtime broadcaster. Used to see him on This Week in Baseball. How about that? Mel Allen, one of the great voices ever in Major League Baseball. And Mel comes out, and he sits probably, I don't know, 10 feet away from me. And he says, hi, how are you? And I said, good. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I was like stuttering just like I am now. I'm like, wow, I can't believe Mel Allen talked to me. And Mel asked me where I was from. And, you know, we, we probably talked for 20 minutes or so. And I was, that was one of the great experiences very early I mean, I was a sophomore in college, and I remember that like it was yesterday. I mean, I'm sitting in the, all by myself in the Yankee dugout having a conversation with a guy that I've watched on TV for years and years and years and years and years, and he's talking to me like he's known me for 20 years. I mean, which would have been impossible because I wasn't even 20 years old at that point, but the point is I'll never forget that conversation. And again, I keep on circling back to what's it going to be like? What's the future of sports going to be like? What's the, what's the impact going to be on COVID? The impact's going to be great. We're already seeing it with layoffs, okay? And I'm not saying that these sports aren't going to, at some point, be where they used to be, but I, I don't know. I mean, you've heard the reports that the NBA is going to, you know, start their season, and they're hoping to have 25 to 50% capacity at their games, but no courtside seats. Well, I don't have a crystal ball any more than you do, but I have my ears open, all right? And I have my eyes looking at what's going on, and I'm seeing the COVID rates rise across the country, and I'm thinking to myself, how on earth does any league think that they're going to have 25 to 50% capacity at venues in December or even January or February? And I hope I'm wrong. I really do. But how, how, how's that going to happen? All right? And you see all the COVID tests going on and all the positives across the National Football League. 
and we're not really yet in the cold weather. We're not yet into the, the, the bitter weather for the Northeast, Chicago, Green Bay, Denver. And I don't know what the impact's going to be when the weather turns cold as it relates to COVID, but I, I, I got to be a guy that's going to use my common sense here. The cases aren't going to go down, are they? So I, I then ask, okay, are broadcasters going to have to do games again from afar in studio for this coming year? And I don't think there's any question about it. The answer is going to be yes. And then what about if you are going to the game? Are you really going to want to go to a game? Are you going to want to watch the Kings play or the Raiders play in Las Vegas? That might be different. You might want to go to a Raiders game to see the stadium. I could see that. But let's say you go see the stadium in Las Vegas. Let's say you're able to get in at some point this year. And there's only 15,000 fans. Is that any fun going to a sporting event where there's 20% capacity or less? Like if you go to watch the, the Kings play and there's only 15% capacity, it's like going to watch a game at a library. Like, is that fun? And the NBA has already said no courtside seats all year, which makes complete sense. I mean, they're, they're not going to let anyone get near the players. So if you have a son or a daughter and you want to get autographs, well, that's not going to happen. That You're not going to have any chance at all to get near any of the players. So again, I, I go back to what is going to be the future of sports. Is it going to be changed forever? I would think certain aspects are. Now, do I think that someday we'll be at full capacity? Yes, of course I do. Do I think that we'll be at a football game with 75,000 people? Yes, I do. Do I think we're going to be at a basketball facility with you know a full house at some point? Yes, I do. But in terms of the people that cover the sports, what about, again, getting close to the athletes? I think the Kings do a marvelous job about this, and I've always said this. You know, their interaction that they have with their season ticket holders and their team. And, you know, they're not the only ones. Other teams do it. But that's always been the thing that's made, to me, Sacramento so special. The bond between the fans and the players because the fans have always felt that they're a part of the team and that they can kind of reach out and touch the players, so to speak. You know, like they feel part of the team. Well, that's not going to happen for a while, is it? How would you possibly do that? Like, you're not going to be able to get close to the players. Are they going to have an event at the arena, but say you have to stay from the middle deck up and you can watch from there as they go through a practice and they throw T-shirts and, and basketballs up into the crowd? I, I don't know, but it's going to be a heck of a lot different. You know, I think about all of the great things, you know, for someone like myself that has been covering sports for decades upon decades and think about what is it going to be like now? What's going to be the future? I've talked to a lot of network announcers. They're, they are traveling. You know, the Joe Bucks of the world, the Iron Eagles, you know, the Kevin Harlins. You know, Mike Breen. Mike Breen was in the bubble in Orlando. Will that continue? It will continue. Now, I don't understand why. I mean, if everyone else can do games from remote locations and ESPN is laying off 300 people, why is ESPN sending Steve Levy, sending the two analysts and flying them all over the country to be in the booth for Monday Night Football. I'm, I'm just asking a question. 
Why not just stay in Bristol? They got unbelievable facilities there and announced the game from in-studio. Would anyone really know the difference? Probably not. So you're laying off 300 people. You're not filling 200 vacancies that you currently have. So that's a total of 500 jobs, and yet you're going to bid billions of dollars for the Sunday night package. You're going to fly your talent to go to games, and, and the reason for that is what? So a lot of things don't add up here. I, for one, and I'm trying not to be selfish here, I'm really glad that my career is heading towards the twilight. Because when I look back at all of the unbelievable experiences that I've had, you know, whether it was in the dugout talking to Mel Allen or being on the field talking to Steve Garvey and I can, or, or, you know, Mike Ditka. And, I, you know, again, I've got tons of stories like that. If I was 19 again, 20, 21, starting my profession, I wouldn't be doing that. That's not happening anytime soon or maybe forever. All right, one of the things that I want to do today is I want to answer a lot of the questions that I've been receiving. And all you need to do is go to crowdquestion.com and you can ask me a question and I might very well answer it right here on the podcast. Uh, Someone said, with half of the NFL season in the books, what is your biggest surprise so far? Thanks, love the podcast. My two biggest surprises, one in the AFC would be Miami. They're four and three. They started off poorly. They went out to San Francisco before they were completely decimated by injuries, and they spanked them. Then they came home, and uh, they shut out the hapless New York Jets. They have since gone to two at quarterback. Last week, they just uh, embarrassed and roughed up the L.A. Rams. So to me, in the AFC, the most surprising team to me is the Miami Dolphins. In the NFC... The Arizona Cardinals are a beat ahead of where I thought they would be. And how about Kyler Murray? I mean, this kid looks like he's going to be unbelievable, right? What a difference maker he is. You know, the huge overtime win against Seattle. They they are really, really impressive. And listen, getting DeAndre Hopkins, that was a great move for that franchise. But I love what I see in Murray. So to me, those two teams, Miami in the AFC and Arizona in the NFC. All right, I'm Ricky said, what? changes because of COVID in sports do you think will stick long-term? I kind of just went through this, but you you used the term long-term. I think the accessibility for the media and fans to get close to the athletes may never be the same. So I, I think that may never change or at least not change for a long time. Now, as a viewer... Watching the games at home on TV, would that matter to you? Probably not. Probably not. You're probably not going to get as in-depth interviews and uh, post-game and pre-game information as you would have in the past. Maybe you will, but again, I'm just doing this off the top of my head. So I'm Ricky. I'll tell you this. There will be some permanent changes. They will evolve and they will change as we move forward. But the other part of all of this is, is there another virus on the horizon that we're not even accounting for yet? So there will be changes. There's no question about that. All right, Brendan Teixeira, who was your favorite pre-1980s NBA player and why? I've got two of them. 
Walt Frazier and Willis Reed. You know, I grew up with the Knicks. They won that championship against the Lakers with Jerry West and Gail Goodrich in the backcourt. Happy Hairston, Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, that team and the Knicks, Frazier, you know, Barnett. You had Bill Bradley and Dave DeBusher and Willis Reed up front. Red Holtzman was the coach. I used to love that Knicks team. And I used to love Clyde, number 10, Walt Frazier, and the captain, Willis Reed. And, of course, Willis coming out for Game 7 against the Lakers at Madison Square Garden. And, again, you'll have 500,000 people that will tell you they were at the game, and yet only 19,000 were in the building. But everyone wants to say they were at the game. Willis Reed, and then getting a chance to meet him and Walt later in life. Willis, of course, was an assistant coach. I talked about this with Jerry Reynolds the other day. And Willis Reed, what a great man. You know, and that's the other part of what we do in this profession. You grow up, just like you, you grow up with your favorite sports figures. And then if you're fortunate enough to meet that individual, you just pray that they're not an ass. And for Willis Reed, he could not have been a more humble, nice gentleman, great guy to talk to. And I used to talk to Willis all the time. And for me, you know, early in my career being, what, was I 26 or 27 in Sacramento when I first met Willis? That was, uh, that was a big-time thrill for me. You know, I, I'm not afraid to say that it's a thrill for me. I, any announcer that's in this business and doesn't talk about the thrill of being on the field or the thrill of talking to certain athletes, they're not being real. Now, later in life, it's not as much of a thrill because as you go through this profession, you look at things differently, and it, it really is, how do I want to say this? They put their pants on the same way as you. Okay, and they are they're just people. But early in your career, when you've idolized some of these individuals and you've rooted for them and then you're like, oh, my God, I'm talking to them one on one. That's some uh, really neat stuff. All right. Interesting. Jamie from the Bay. Does Jimmy Garoppolo need to go? This is the same quarterback, right, that took the 49ers to the Super Bowl. Now, a lot of people think that Garoppolo lost the Super Bowl for San Francisco last year. I'm not one of them. I think the defense lost the Super Bowl for San Francisco. Now, did Garoppolo miss fire on a couple of passes that would have been huge to George Kittle? Yes, he did. No question about it. But the defense, which was the most heritable defense, right, in the National Football League, they were the ones that had the lead and they were not able to get off the field and stop the Kansas City Chiefs. I can't fault the guy when he has injuries. Jimmy Garoppolo, unfortunately, out, as we know, for the season with the ankle. We know what happened two years ago with the knee. I'm not ready to give up on him just yet. And then I will ask you this question, Jamie. Then what do you do? If you're the 49ers and you don't have Garoppolo and you go in a different direction, then what do you do? Like, what... What are your options as the 49ers? And isn't it interesting, as we sit here and talk after that game last night with the Niners and the Packers, and you look at the decimated football team that San Francisco has, and you know they're going to have more injuries as the season goes on, that barring a unforeseen second half of the season, they're going to go from being one quarter away or a half quarter away from winning a Super Bowl to the following year, not being in the playoffs and not being relevant. And that is life 
in the National Football League. And that's why when you look at what New England did, and 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 regardless of whether you like Bill Belichick or I don't even care, you have to acknowledge how great they were through the era of Tom Brady, which is so hard to do in the National Football League because of injuries. And again, Exhibit A, this year's San Francisco 49ers. In order to win the Super Bowl, yes, you have to be good. But you also have to have some luck on your side. And the 49ers have been as unlucky as any team in the National Football League this year. That's just the way it is. You know, you look at the teams right now that are really good in the National Football League. It also coincides with they've been pretty lucky not having any major injuries to their skill positions. You can't say that about San Francisco. So as far as Jimmy Garoppolo goes, if I'm the 49ers, would I give up on Garoppolo? I would not unless you tell me that you have a better option. And right now, I don't know what that option would be. And what a shame if you were a 49ers fan. You were knocking on the door. You were right there. You were the talk of the NFC last year. You were a couple of moments away from winning the Super Bowl. And Mahomes and the Chiefs were able to go up and down the field against that defense and just really take your heart out of your chest. All right, John Hall. Why do you think MMA and the UFC doesn't get recognition for being a mainstream sport in America? Because it's not a mainstream sport. Is it popular? Yes, it is popular. It will never be a mainstream sport. It's just the reality of it. First of all, there aren't enough events. I mean, you can't be mainstream with the infrequency of their bouts. That, 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 that's just not possible. Uh, but, but it's very popular. Now, I'm not into it. I'm, I've tried to watch the sport, and i got to be honest, I am not into it. And yet, I really admire a lot of the, the, the fighters. I mean, Uriah Faber, who I got to know very well, I, I, I think the world of Uriah. Okay. I used to love talking to him. I was at one of his, you know, bouts and it's just not for me. I don't care for it. You know, I've never really liked wrestling and I don't like the, I I don't like the sport, you know, when they get on the mat, I I just don't care for that. Also, um, I'm not into the violence of the sport. Now, maybe the participants will say, well, gee, it's not that violent. My eyes tell me it's violent. Okay. I, I just, it's not for me. It's just not for me. And I, I, most of my friends, and I'm telling you, I'm one of the very few among my age group and my friends that don't like it. Uh, my, my friends watch it all the time. They buy it on the, when it's a big pay-per-view event. They're always there. They're always watching it. Now, also, think about what that sport has had to go through. And if we are still, I mean, that is a great sport fan uh, what word am I looking for? I mean, that that's a great event as a fan, right? The build-up, the great... I, I know you're going to find this hard to believe because I've been to the World Series. I've watched my team win the Stanley Cup. I've watched the Giants in person win two Super Bowls. Do you know that one of the greatest, maybe my top two or three sporting events that I've ever been to in my entire life, and it was the first boxing match that I ever was at in person? Tony Lopez... And Rocky Lockridge, right? And it ended up being Ring Magazine Fight of the Year. And Tony won his first world championship on that afternoon, national TV. And I had the most unbelievable experience 
I was in the first row with my forearms resting on the ring. And anyone that was at Arco Arena that afternoon for Rocky Lockridge and Tony Lopez, that truly was one of the most amazing atmospheres that I've ever witnessed anywhere at any time, any sporting event. When Tony came out to the eye of the tiger and jumped into that ring and the crowd, and Tony got knocked down in the third round. And he came back and won the belt. And again, Ring Magazine, Ring Magazine called that the fight of the year. So I'm not down. In other words, I'm not saying, no, you know, that's sports nonsense. I don't No, MMA and UFC, no, it's not nonsense. It's, it's big time. But mainstream, no, it's not going to be mainstream. It's just not. And that's okay. Accept it for what it is. Accept it for what it is. And maybe that sport, and maybe I'm wrong because I don't follow it as much, maybe that sport is as impacted as much as any. I mean, not having fans around a fight, whether it's boxing or MMA, not having that atmosphere and the craziness of the fans up close and you see them while you're watching it on TV, see, to me, that's a huge difference. Now, if you want to ask me a question coming up on Tuesday's podcast, go to crowdquestion.com. It's easy to sign up. just takes uh, a couple of seconds. And ask me a question, and I will do my best to answer. It's time for Rant. 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 And my rant is with the expectations of the NBA. So the NBA is hoping to have between 25 and 50% fans in attendance when their sport gets going. Explain to me how that's going to happen. All right, COVID cases are going up pretty much all over the United States. It's November, all right? If indeed they toss the ball up on December 22nd, what's that going to look like? They've already announced no courtside seats. No one in attendance can be within 10 to 12 feet of the playing surface. And I hope I'm wrong here. I would love to see a lot of fans at the games. But let's say I'm wrong for right now. And let's say you can have 25% capacity at a basketball game. I'm asking you this question. You know, let me know. Get back to me. Leave me a comment. All right? Go to Twitter, at Grant Napier Show. Leave me a question on crowdquestion.com. Because I want to ask you this. Because I don't get it. 25% capacity. Let's say that's what it is. Are you really into going to a basketball game with the arena 75% empty? Like, does that sound like fun to you? Like, what would be the reason for going so you can cheer with everyone else when there's great plays and a thrilling overtime finish? Like, is that fun? Like, for me, I wouldn't do that. You know, I'm a diehard New York Giants fan, and they stink, so I wouldn't go to a game right now anyway. But if the Giants were, you know, in the race, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to New York, and I'm going to go to the Giants-Cowboys game, or whatever the case may be. But then they told me, well, you know, uh, the stadium's only going to be 20% full. I'm not going to the game with a 20% full. So the NBA, stop it already with this. You're not going to have 50% capacity at your games. How's that going to happen? I mean, look at the NFL. Look at all the COVID cases. How how, how are you going to get 50% capacity into your venues? You know, maybe at the end of the year, maybe in June, maybe in July, but not for a couple of months. You got to deal with some reality here. I mean, the bubble was one of the great 
great things that we saw last year. I give so much credit to Adam Silver in the NBA. They did a marvelous job. Great job. As did Gary Bettman in the NHL. Hats off. They were phenomenal. And again, they, 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 it was almost a miracle. Not one positive test in Orlando or in Edmonton or Toronto with the NHL. They deserve a heck of a, a, heck of a job, a big-time pat on the back. But don't come out and tell me that you can want 25 to 50% capacity at the NBA games this year. Because I don't see any way in the world that's happening. And if it does happen, again, hit me up on Twitter at Grant Napier Show. Are you really going to take your son or daughter or whomever else to an event like that? Because I, I wouldn't. That's not something I'm doing. But again, I'm a 61-year-old man. You know, maybe I'm out of touch with freaking reality. But I'm not doing it. But I'd love to know if you are. All right, today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. New Works Plumbing, locally owned in Sacramento for 20 years. Something else. You never know when your plumbing problems are going to occur, right? Well, they've got experienced technicians ready to roll 24-7. For all of your plumbing needs, plumbing repairs, all you need to do is go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W wrxplumbing.com again folks they do it all don't be afraid three in the morning four in the morning you have an emergency just go to newworksplumbing.com they'll take care of it newworksplumbing.com the sponsor of today's rant hope you enjoyed it today if you don't like that have yourself a great weekend everybody and once again we're brought to you by roy's umbrella for all of your home loan needs check out roysumbrella.com as always, appreciate you listening. If you don't like that, with Grant Napier. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.